Hey listeners, and welcome to the fourth episode of Mental Health and Tech. I am Skolk Nettling, one of your co-hosts, the other one being Skolk Fenter. And today we have a guest again, and this time it is Casey Watts, and he will introduce himself in just a bit. Um, to give a quick background on myself, um, I am recently became the 100% full-time founder of a company, um, recent as in two weeks ago. Before that, I was working what you could say full-time at Mozilla for almost 12 years. And um, yeah, I've, I've always wanted to do my own company. And um, I don't know, I just thought it's always going to be scary. It's always going to be weird. So I'm just going to do it and see how it goes. So, and it's been an interesting ride. And um, I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more in a second. So founder of Mechanical Inc., um, one of the branches of Mechanical Inc. is called Mechanical Inc. Studio, and that is the part that does all these podcasts. So there's other podcasts as well. I'm not going to go in about them, but we'll link it up in the show notes. And um, other than doing podcasts, I'm a friend engineer, um, passionate about open source and accessibility. So I talk and I'm involved in all of that stuff a lot. I love community building. Um, did some of that at Mozilla, quite a bit of that at Mozilla. And um, I have my own little community that I started for entry-level web developers called the Mycelium Network. Um, and other than that, uh, I've been living with mental illness since I, I've always put the time, the dot at 15, roughly 15 years old. And um, it's always been interesting to me that it has been treated so different than any other kind of illness, even though it's right there in the name. Um, and so I met other Skulk uh, quite a while ago, and at some point I learned about the fact that he was also openly talking about it and wanting to destigmatize and all this stuff. And, you know, we just started talking about it more, and eventually he wanted to start a podcast about it, and then at some point I said, why don't we do it together? And that's how this came about. So, um, yeah, four episodes in. Um, and it's been fascinating so far. I'm so glad we're doing it. And I love seeing people, how many people are listening to it. Um, it's actually the podcast that's doing the best out of the four that I make at the moment. So it, it shows that there's, there's interest in this. Um, so I'm, I'm glad that it's, people are finding um, connection with it. Then, as we, from our very first guest who gave us the idea, we start off by doing a bit of a mental health check-in, just where we are and how we're doing. And so I'll start off with doing mine. Um, so, as I said, about two weeks ago, I made a huge leap and, like, changed my entire world, so to speak. And, um, whoa, I wasn't expecting what I went through, especially last week. The second week was rough. Um, I couldn't find my feet. Everything felt weird. Nothing felt right. I started questioning myself. I started thinking, oh my goodness, I made a massive mistake. I'm not billing any hours because I'm spending so much time on this, that, and the other thing. And it was just very, very weird. Um, and I decided at some point to start recording daily what I'm going through called Coffee Time on YouTube. And so I've been doing that for I think I recorded the 14th episode today. Yeah, which is two weeks. Interesting. Um, yeah, and it's been a it's been a roller coaster ride. Uh, but it but I feel like this week things are getting better. If I have to say where I am today, right now, I'm feeling good. I'm not I don't think I made a mistake anymore. I'm not doubting myself anymore. So I think it was a it was like I think to make the best analogy I can say is almost like when you lose someone, if someone passes away or something, you have all those emotions you go through where at first it feels like you should be feeling something more than you're feeling. And then suddenly all those emotions hit you in one go and it's almost overwhelming. And then you start making peace with it. And then you start finding um, this new world, this new life. And you start saying, okay, I got to, I got to carry on. I got to make something of this. It's almost like that, that I've experienced. So it was very interesting. But right now today where I'm sitting right here with these other two awesome folks, I'm feeling really good and really positive. So on that note, I'm going to hand over to my co-host, Scott Fenter, to introduce himself a little bit and then tell us how he's doing. Wow, that was a phenomenal introduction. Sure. Okay. How do I follow up from that? Um, I'm glad you joined us over at the dark side uh, as a full-time contractor um, i've been doing it now for a while and yo, 
it it is a roller coaster ride. Uh, I I I speak with my wife quite often about this. That so, like things kind of just I I never planned to kind of just be a freelancer and a contractor, but things just happened and things fell in place. And um, sure, like I would I don't know if I would go through it again. Um, you're because it's such a learning experience. Um, as you mentioned, you know, Scott, like you know, you're like you start actually understanding like the the value of your time because you I bill per hour, and which is great, and you know, like it's 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 a, it's a it's it's a very mature adult thing. But you almost like now all of a sudden there, there's a lot of things that. You, you almost ask yourself, you start doing that math in your head now, like all the time. And like, it almost feels like you can't enjoy anything anymore because you're always mentally being like, okay, is this my hourly, hourly rate worth of relaxing or whatever, you know? If I were to work now, like, is this that monetary amount worth? So like, it's almost like a curse in itself. But yeah, um, but it's, 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 it's very freeing. Um, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that it's going well for you, but yes, it is your man. Like, it's almost like it's, it's hard. Like, and you feel very exposed, especially in the beginning. Um, yeah. So in, for me, um, I kind of front end engineer, um, product design, um, in the education space, um, do a lot of teaching around JavaScript, around product design, um, all those type of things, um, and also, yeah, like kind of trying to, when I have an opportunity to destigmatize kind of mental health a bit and in general just make the tech industry a bit more humane um, and openly talking about some stuff. Um, and as, as Skulk mentioned, you know, like this is something that I also, I just did it on the side, like off the cuff talking about mental health and so forth and then just like the, the the amount of people that just wanted to speak to it like about it like just was overwhelming and I was like oh man now I'm going to become the, the mental illness guy like I don't want to be that guy I want to be like the guy who's like oh he's the JavaScript or the TypeScript guy I don't want to be the, the mental illness guy but yeah guess the universe deemed that that is the role I need to play um but yeah, so in terms of where I'm at, I was actually in a really, really good space uh, the, the last couple of weeks. And, you know, it's, it's that classic thing where you, in my younger years, in my more naive years, I would actually think, hey, I actually don't have depression anymore. Like, oh, I can start thinking about going off the meds and, and all of that. Um, luckily, I, yeah, like I kind of also understand that that is actually indicative of the meds actually being a good thing and not that I don't need the meds and so forth. Um, but yeah, I was doing pretty well. And then I just, in my email right now, maybe 10 minutes before this, received a massive bill for a, ser for a service that I tried as a trial and I canceled my trial and it ended up not canceling for some reason. And put me on like actually signed me now up for a year for the year plan and you know so obviously there's the frustration about that and being like oh man and like am I going to get that money back and whatever I sent them an email but then also like that kind of sends you down a lot of other rabbit holes in terms of like oh man like why do things have to be so predatory why 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 can't they just email me and ask me like hey do you actually want to sign up for it? why why is it automatic and you know and they kind of like it's almost like you know they tricking you into accidentally signing up and uh, like yeah then you almost like kind of go on in in this dark like hole in terms of just realizing you know oh man like like how how much antagonism there is in the world and people exploiting one another and tricking people and you know yeah whatever yeah uh, what a way to start but yeah so like i think that kind of ruined my evening a bit but you know I guess it's as good as a time as any to talk about mental health, specifically coming out of that. Um, but yeah, then I'm happy to hand over to Casey. And I also have to note that I don't know anything about Casey, which is very refreshing for me because up until now, all the other episodes, I 
kind of knew the person like quite well. Um, and this is the very first person that that Skulk Nietling approached and um, I'm going into this completely blind, uh, which for me is quite exciting, kind of learning a bit more. But yeah, so I think that's a good place to start, Casey, and kind of just do a bit of an introduction in terms of who you are and um, why Skulk might have possibly found you interesting. Hi, I'm Casey. Thanks for introducing me, Skulk and Skulk. I'm so glad to be here. Um, I love talking about mental health. When I saw the podcast name, I was like, yep, I'm there. Check. <laughs> That's where I want to be. Uh, a little bit about me. I have two background areas I like to point out. One is psychology. And the other is technology. Um, so the psychology background, I did neurobiology at Yale University, and I was on uh, co-author on a few papers. I did rat brain surgery to do some experiments. That's my past. I haven't done that in a long time, but that's where I'm coming from. The other side is technology. So in the tech industry, I've done all the different roles, uh, engineer, front-end, full-stack, um, product manager, engineering manager. I've been a UX researcher. Now, lately, I'm a chief of staff. Um, I'm just doing all other roles. I love learning. I love doing all these different things. And it feels like each time I change roles, I'm like getting a little bit more scope, a little bit more influence, a little bit more visibility into all the roles, and more opportunity to listen to all the people around me to help everybody feel understood and get us aligned. I care about that a lot. Uh, another thing I care about a lot is community organizing. So in my ex extra time outside of work, that's one of the stuff. One of the things I do a lot. I help organize. I don't know four or five meetups in the Baltimore DC area. Last night we did Code for Baltimore, and we partnered with the city. Like that's a lot of fun. I do a whole bunch of things like that. And a fun thing about myself I like to mention is I like to blow bubbles. So I have a crate. I have more than a crate, but I take a crate of bubble equipment to the park sometimes, and I have bubble machines and big bubble wands and bubble vision goggles that make the bubbles look like stars and stuff like that. It's mind-blowing. Uh, bubbles, bubbles, bubbles. If you mention the bubbles guy at a conference, someone might actually recognize, oh, you mean Casey. Like, people know. <laughs> uh, the other part of the intro that I want to touch on is the mental health check-in. I've been so stressed this week. I'm so glad you asked. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, my partner, Brian, and I are buying a house uh, right outside of Baltimore on the D.C. side because I, I go to both cities a lot. And yesterday we did the home inspection. Everything turned out great. But it doesn't mean it's not stressful. It's so much. We learned about like 50 parts of the house I didn't know existed that may or may not have been damaged that we have to repair. And then I, um, I just started this chief of staff role a couple of weeks ago. So I'm like learning all the people involved and like trying to navigate that. That's a new big change. My mom just moved to Florida. Uh, that's a big story, and she just sold her house last week, and I'm helping her with a whole bunch of stuff. My brother just got diagnosed with being autistic uh, a, month, a couple months ago, which is like a relief, because nothing changed, but now we understand better. But that's also more... And then I had to run that meetup event last night, too, after all that. Uh, and the, the loan paperwork is due. Yesterday was hard. I haven't slept that well this past week. But last night, after I got through all that, I slept better, and I feel better today. Yeah, that's, that's, that's great. Thanks so much for sharing all of that. That is a lot. That is a lot to have. <laughs> and life has this interesting way of doing that to us, right? It's like quiet and you're like, oh, yeah, things are going so well. Life's just great. And then like for me, a pipe in the front yard would burst and I'd be like, aha, there we go. There we go. There we go. <laughs> That's the life I've gotten used to. But then I'm like, don't say that. Now you're manifesting something in your life. Um, but uh, there's an interesting thing. Like I looked up... Um, the podcast that you mentioned um, a little earlier, and something that Skulk said was resonated with what with something I read in there, and that is, it it there's a phrase that there's a paragraph there about da da da, and then it finishes with, um, and it essentially touches on how the tech industry has evolved. Maybe you could instead say devolved over time, um, and. What it ends off with is saying that this has resulted in a tech community that too often puts companies and code over people. And so that, when Skulk told his story and how he felt about this victimization, you know, like, oh my goodness, I just forgot to cancel before the seven days were up or whatever, and here you are just sending me a big bowl and I, you know, I didn't want this. I didn't need this in my life. Um, and we're like, where's the humanity there? Like, and the hope here is that they would be a, a decent company. And when you say, oh, I made a mistake, I actually don't want to continue with this, that they would come back to you and say, oh, that's understandable. No worries about it. We'll, we'll cancel it and everything's fine. 
Time will tell whether that's the case, but I don't know. Um, I've had positive, more negative than positive experiences with that kind of thing, unfortunately. Um, so I don't know if any of any of you, like ACVU or Skulk, if any of you want to dig in a little bit deeper about in, into that whole idea, this thing about how the tech community has, I'm going to say devolved into this place where companies and code is put above people and being human. Yeah, I'll talk to it more. I think it's part of a wider trend um, that I think we're seeing a reversal of a little bit. Unionization, uh, or more generally, like people coming together collectively and supporting each other and doing things. Same parallel in the work environment with unions. That used we used to have lots of unions in the in the U.S. I think in the world also, and then they declined and they're less popular. And I think we're getting more of them. We're going to hear about a little lot in the tech industry, especially. And in parallel to that. Uh, in the meetup organizing realm, I see the same thing. There's a whole bunch of meetups that are community-led by the people, for the people, it's for the individuals in the community. And then after a while, I noticed a lot of the meetups, at least in the D.C. Baltimore area, were run by companies as marketing, but disguising themselves. They say community a hundred times in the descriptions, but it's not run by individual people. It's run by the company for the company's agenda to sell things very clearly if you are savvy enough to notice. Um, but but now lately, in, in Baltimore at least, we're talking about maybe forming a tech collective for all the meetup groups, the community-led ones especially, not the company ones as much. Maybe partnering with company ones so they're involved but not core. The core is the people for this. And so I'm seeing the same trend in the tech industry and in community building. People power. I don't know if you're, Casey, if you're familiar with the Tech Worker Coalition. Um so they they do a lot of great work uh, around this and um i've been kind of following them for a very long time now um but yeah it's it's interesting hearing that perspective because i i think in south africa we have a very strong history and and, and a very strong culture of unions and so forth um but I, it's interesting because i think most middle class people would think that first and foremost unions are something for poor people and also that unions are the problem um so it's i think there's a lot of you know i I don't want to go into this too much but you know like i think there's a lot of narratives there around unions and so forth that aren't very helpful but at the very least we have very strong unions but those tend to be more in terms of kind of uh, industry and and factories and 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 so forth um what's also interesting is as you spoke about the code for baltimore thing so i i've been very involved in kind of like the international code for uh, kind of uh, stuff as well you know i used to work for a company called open up they were previously known as a code for south africa um also know some of the people at code for africa quite well uh, so justin and so forth um and weirdly enough the company that i work for now used to be called uh used to be called code for cape town but i don't think they were part of the actual um code for international umbrella um yeah so like that's that's very interesting and i yo i would love to talk to you i would love to talk about like kind of this 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 idea of grassroots meetups as well and kind of you know companies using meetups as marketing material i see that a lot and and so um myself and and a good friend of mine justin so we also run um Frontend development South Africa. Um, we're quite big. I think we're we're kind of like at around like four, five, four thousand, five thousand members. Um, and like we get approached by companies all the time. And it's always like, oh, you can use we would like to become a sponsor and you can use our offices. And we're like, oh, I don't know, that doesn't sound like a great deal. Um, or they're like, hey, we want to do a talk. We get a lot of recruiters specifically, and the talk is always like five tips to get your tech career started or whatever. And I'm like, this is yeah, this is clearly just marketing stuff. It's no value. Um, and yeah, that's very interesting. Like I, I, I think I would also love to. I don't want to go on too many tangents, but I would love to have a chat also about the relationship. I don't know if 
recruiters are such a big thing in the States, but, but down here, yeah, tech recruiters, okay, cool, I see you nodding. Um, it's also like a very interesting relationship between recruiters and community meetups uh, because recruiters also come to the meetups actively trying to recruit people instead of actually adding value. Uh, which in turn means that other like actual companies don't want the employees going to the meetups because they're going to get poached by recruiters and and, and so forth. So, um, but I think a good place to start maybe for me in terms of learning more about what you do. So, other Skulk mentioned that you do speak about mental health, kind of on public platforms like conferences and so forth. So I'm, I'm curious to hear a bit more about that and then what exactly that entails. Yeah, yeah. Good segue. I think we have a lot of fodder for a whole community organizing episode. Um, and one of the groups I work with, Code & Coffee, uh, has a U.S. umbrella group lately uh, that's been developing. They're, if they start a podcast, that would be a good venue to continue that conversation. I have so many thoughts on recruiters at meetups and sponsorships. I could talk about that all day. But on this mental health and tech podcast, happy to, <laughs> to pivot gears into... Uh, the other topic. So yeah, I give a lot of talks at conferences. Um, I used to also be a teacher. I taught web development boot camp at, at Yale University for a little while. So I have a lot of teacherisms. I love presenting and explaining things and having to, facilitating discussions. And so at a lot of tech conferences, I'll do them. One of them I call, uh, named after my book, Debugging Your Brain, which is about the overlap of my two backgrounds, psychology and tech. And I go through all these uh, frameworks and theories and um, studies and things like that about uh, how the brain works, and I put it in terms of, like, if the brain were a computer, it's a pretty good metaphor. That Then, here are implications of that, and things you can do to change things, and when you're stressed, it's like um, an alert, like if you set it up in New Relic or whatever, alerts, that's good. Uh, a whole bunch of metaphors like that are in the book. Um, if I had to call out one thing that's use really useful and interesting that people always comment on afterwards, like, wow, I didn't know that. There's a framework from uh, DBT, Dialectical Behavioral Therapy, called the Six Levels of Validation. So when you're talking to someone, uh, you know, if, if someone really gets you, they really understand you, they know what you're saying, it feels so good. People want that. People want to feel understood. And sometimes you'll talk to someone and their eyes are glazed over and they're not connecting at all and you know it. And so uh, this framework is, I think it was designed really for therapists to use, but it's also useful for people in general. It's like the six levels. Have you ever heard of that, or do you have any any other tools similar to that? I, I have not. I would love if you could like just give us like a you know not a not quite a TLDR, a little bit more than that, but like just a yeah, quick sure. overview. That'd be lovely. Sure, sure. So there's the um, six levels of validation is the original framework, uh, and I like to split it into three and three. So the three levels of listening are the low, the lower, less powerful three, and the three levels of validation are the more powerful three. So the three levels of listening, one is silent presence. You can literally, if someone's really upset, you can sit with them and not talk. They might not want to talk. And that's supportive. They feel more understood literally, or supported or they feel good. It's positive just because you're standing sitting next to them. Um, another one is if you can say things back to them, like the classic therapist. Ah, you said literally what you just said. And that's pretty good. Actually, that, that's good. People like it overall. Even better than that, the third one up would be if you can carefully guess what they might be thinking or feeling, things they might not have articulated yet. It's dangerous if you, you don't want to tell them, ah, yes, you're upset for this reason and get it wrong and they don't feel like they can correct you or whatever because of the state they're in and your relationship, whatever. It, it can be hard to do well. But if you can guess carefully, tactfully, and like say, oh, are you feeling upset or scared or you know, like help them along and articulating it, that's even more validating than the echoing back, which is more validating than sitting in silence. That's the lower three. And when I learned this, my mind was blown. I was like, yeah, duh. But I don't, I wouldn't have known to use that. I wouldn't have known to think that way and when to carefully guess or not and the nuances around it. So I learned a lot from that. And the next three are equally mind-blowing, I think. If you're validating someone, validating like saying, that makes sense. I understand why you might feel that way. There's three levels within that. And no one I've ever met has ever heard of it, except if you've like studied DBT. It's a very, very niche, nuanced thing, but it's so useful. Those three are, um, it makes sense for you is the lowest. It makes sense for anyone in that situation is higher than that. People like that. It's not just you. It's anyone in that situation. They like that. And then even higher is, I also understand how you feel. If they agree, it's similar enough that it relates. Like, oh, I've been in a situation like that. That's very powerful. Um. 
I don't know, I wrote more about that in my book. I've got more examples in the talk I give. I talk about this all the time. But that's the, the six levels. It's so useful. And so if you're supporting a friend who's stressed, if you can use this, pull, pull out the chart or whatever from the book, Google it online, find, find an image and think about it. I think you'll be a better listener. People will feel more understood. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I, I have two things on, on that. The first one is I totally get, especially the lower three that you were talking about, like that is something that I learned through my therapist as well. And I just spoke to my wife about it the other day um, because it's something that I find tough and I don't know I don't know if it's just because of my upbringing and the culture generally in South Africa is like I feel like I need to have an answer so if somebody comes to me with and they want to share a problem that they, they have I immediately go into that mind space of oh uh what how can I solve this problem and the thing is it might not be useful because that might not be what they need right um, so what he's told me is, in fact, giving yourself the permission to not have answers is a very, very powerful thing. And so do that and then listen and empathize, just listen and empathize. So if somebody is saying, explaining something to you, just saying, like you, like you mentioned, just saying like, I can hear that you're struggling with this and I can see how that can be hard. And that's it. There. You don't expand on it. Nothing more than that. It's amazing how effective just that is. And to lead on to that, and uh, Skull, please feel free to also um, talk about these topics that I mentioned here now. How can we harness that inside a company? So whether that be in a meeting or whether that be even when you're just in the office doing your work, maybe it's an open plan and you're not remote. Um, how, do we, how do we bring those things into the workplace to make it a more um, safe space for folks? Yeah, those are, those are great. Um, for me personally also, you know, like it, it's something I had to learn in my life as well at, at some point. It's like, and it's such a powerful thing being able to say like, listen, man, I really don't know. I really don't know. I wish I had an answer, but I don't know. And it it it's almost like, and I think what's so powerful for me about it is like it shows a willingness to go into that scary space with someone. Um, what I've found like when I was going through all my things, like I, I, people mean well, but there's nothing that makes you feel as invalidated as when someone's like, no, it's going to get better. Like, don't worry about it. And, you know, there's a reason for everything. And, you know, it's like, it seems bad now and whatever. Like, because effectively they're telling you that the way you're reacting is completely unreasonable and it doesn't make sense. Um, and now you're like, I'm feeling all this crap, you know, and now someone's also telling me the way I'm dealing with it is like, like wrong. Um, and... And I think the other thing is like when some someone also, but people do it because they they want to help, but it's 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 misguided. Um, the other thing is as well is when you do that, you also make it seem so easy, like you're like no, just like try and look on the bright side and whatever, and no, it's not that bad. Like you almost make it seem like the subtext there is like why are you making such a big deal about this? Um, and for me, and I, I think especially. The when I like so I spoke at DevConf about a month ago uh, about kind of my own journey with mental health and mental illness and so forth, and I think there's a point in the talk where I just explicitly say, and I think I have that meme of Obama going like, Meh, like shrugging, um, where I explicitly say, you know, so like I, I kind of I, I think I reference a couple of stats from OSME the survey and stuff, and I'm like, you know, like. Things are really dire when we look statistically at the state of mental health in the tech industry. Uh, one of the one of the things I I, I quote as well as I think uh, the Verge did a did a survey of like I think fourteen thousand people, in which I'm not sure on the exact number, but it's 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 above fifty. So I think it's like fifty six percent of people said in a yes or no response, yes, they are burnt out. So that means, on average, the people that are not burnt out in the tech industry are in the minority. 
you were to grab a random person from the tech industry, chances are higher you're going to get someone who's burnt out than someone who's not burnt out. And then it's like, you know, well, where do we go from there? And like, honestly, I'm like, I really don't know. I really don't know. And, but I do think we need to talk about it. And, and what I do find is people don't want to talk about it because they don't have answers. Um, they don't want to broach the subject. They don't want to say this is a massive problem unless they can say, all right, cool, but so here's what we do about it. Um, this is how we're going to fix it. Uh, no one wants to start a conversation where they're saying, like, this is a massive problem. Um, it's probably going to get worse. And I actually don't know what to do about it. Um, yeah, so I'm curious what your experience has been like, Casey, in terms of just like interacting with people in the world of tech and like kind of the reality of mental health and maybe mental illness and so forth being part of some of those those interactions um you know like i think for myself as someone who's managed people before that has definitely been a reality in in actual team members that i've had in terms of like logistically and practically just working with that um but also in terms of the the community stuff as well like there's definitely been some incidents at some of the meetups that i've been involved in that weren't that great and definitely were not within the world of neurotypical behavior um so yeah i'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that maybe as someone who has a like a kind of a lot of visibility into the world of communities and so forth but just anecdotally for you as a person as well like what what was like are there some insights or stories um that you can anecdotally share as well related to that yeah burnout in particular um what i have i have a lot of workshops i've got like 30 workshops i do yeah so in this burnout workshop i have people talk about uh, where they are in the Maslow burnout inventory, and then they break out into groups and talk about it. And that's the most important part, more than any of the content I have. I like my workshops very interactive with breakout discussions. Um, and every time I do it, people say that was the best part, and they wish they had more time to talk to each other. And so like, the most t they can talk, the better, because they get a chance to talk about some sensitive topic that really is important to them. And once they talk about it with one coworker, it's, and they know a group of people who've talked about burnout, the 30 of them or whatever, then it's more like in the air. It's easier to talk about, oh, that workshop last week instead of out of the blue. You know about burnout. Like what a great segue that that's not, people don't go around saying that all the time. I mean, a little bit actually, because it's getting so prevalent, but it's easier if you have an excuse, like an article or something, a grounding point, a shared experience to point to. Do you think there's a danger in, because it's so prevalent, like we almost get desensitized to it? Yeah, I think it is easy to brush off yeah of course you're burnt out everyone's burnt out the pandemic just blame the pandemic for it all but uh, if you yeah. want the engineering department or the organization to be more happy and effective you have to address this and you'll it'll pay for itself it'll it'll clearly pay off there's studies to say it we know it in our guts because we're people a lot of us do a lot of us know it in our guts at least um, so then and then it becomes a it's hard to make space for it make it a priority that's a different problem but like we value it in general and most people i talk to value not being burnt out <laughs> yeah yeah so that that was kind of my question um how do we create how do we bring this to the workplace how do we make it okay for people to admit that they're burnt out and when they do how do we ensure that the company the environment they're in supports that allows them the the, the ability to to say Because it doesn't help if you go to, let's say, for argument's sake, to HR and you say to the, the people the people lead there, holy cow, I don't know what to do, but I just, I'm struggling. I, I think I'm just burned out. Like, what can I do? And they're just like, I don't know how much leave do you have left? I, actually, I used it all because something happened in my life. And they're like, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. Um Maybe go to bed early tonight or something. You know, like, is there something more constructive? I don't know in the U.S., yeah. like, is there stuff in the U.S. maybe that that you've encountered that has been really well set up to, to, help, to help people? So I think it's a two-pronged question. It's like, how do we make it um, 
people feel okay to acknowledge that they burnt out, but then are there any like frameworks or things in place and companies or that companies can adopt um, that can then give these people the support they need to get over their burnout and become productive and happy again? Yeah, I want to start by responding to the urge to go to HR to help with this because they're supposed to and they want to is natural and everyone wants to. And all the HR people I know really do want to help with this. But the structure of the role and their like legal requirements and their workload means HR is not always the best to support people through this. And they are often more focused on systemic issues. I mean, a lot of HR folks do get really involved with individuals too, and that's great. But my advice in general is, especially in a remote work environment, encourage people to find their people and have one-on-ones with them. The more like direct one-to-one, personal, more intimate connections you have at work, the more support you have, a support network, instead of leaning on HR as your entire support network, or even your manager as your support network. Although they can be parts of it, and maybe even the default, I guess, it's the most natural, easiest to go to, like, of course you can, but I think finding finding your people is really important. And you as an individual can try to do that and make time for it, hopefully... You're not in an environment, any listeners to, you cannot have one-on-ones with people because you're so, I don't know, billable hours or what or king or whatever, but hopefully you can have time to talk to your coworkers. That's very important. Um, so I, there's a graph I drew once that showed my happiness over time, like one to 10 on the y-axis. And then I was happy joining a job and stressed because I was still getting used to people and stuff happened and then happier and then COVID hit, it went way down. <laughs> And then that went a while. And then I got a new manager, like the manager changed. And so there's a lot of hope that like the expectations could be different or whatever. Side note, I had a project for six months of the team of six with zero estimated users. That was so frustrating. I quit after that. Like, don't make me do this. Uh, and I thought when the new manager came, that could change, but it didn't change. And every meeting they'd say, yep, zero. But anyway, so then it went up and down. It's going up and down all the time. Um, checking in with your people, with your peers, your support network and how they're doing over time is important. It's easy to notice when you're very low, but sometimes you don't notice when you're trending down right away unless you check in with yourself. Uh, You can do it with yourself, but you can also do it with your people, with your support network. Another thing that made my graph go up and down is sometimes I had a buddy who really understood my role. I was a product manager in the government, and so a lot of the PMs around me were secretly project managers, and they didn't prioritize, they didn't have ownership. Even when they were told to have ownership, like they didn't get it. They didn't know how to do it. They've been doing it the other way for 20 years. And so like very few people knew what I was doing and why and what, why it was important. So I had a coworker six months. I was very happy who really understood me. I could talk to them once a week. We talked and I was just validating. They saw what I was going through. They saw I had the same problems. And then they left. They like moved on to another department or whatever. And then someone else joined. I had six more months of somebody that was great. And then they left. And like when I had my people, I was happy. I had the support. And when I didn't, I wasn't as happy. And I couldn't find it outside of the company either. Uh, Like friends and family are great, but they don't understand being a PM in the government like another PM in the government would understand. I needed to find someone who really understood that deeply for me to feel understood that deeply. So I that's that's a very interesting take because because my well first and foremost I've also done work for the government um, so I, I definitely I definitely like resonate with your product owners who are PMs and mm-hmm. uh, product managers in disguise um, like our, our very first guest Gideon has a has a very nice term for this he calls it wagile um, <laughs> um, but so yeah like I. I generally advise people against building a support network at work because all those relationships are conditional. Um, And sure, you can argue that all relationships are conditional. You know, like if I'm like, I don't know, if I'm going to go out and and murder someone, my wife's probably going to be like, I don't want to be in a relationship with you anymore. Um, But like to me, like there's there's power dynamics at play there, which to me feels that creating some type of support network there and how those power dynamics can change to me feels a bit dangerous um, because effectively you can be in a place where you're told that it's nothing you did, you didn't do anything wrong, it's nothing that happened. There just isn't enough money for you to work here anymore, you know. 
And like that, if if that has been your support support network, like sure, what do you do then? Um, also, like who, like how do you deal with the fact that your support network was just like one day there and tomorrow not anymore? So, but I'm curious that your take on it is like the, like there's a lot of commonality uh, that that gets shared there, which might make it easier to empathize uh, uh, with people. So that's interesting, and I, I think it just once again shows to me that you know like. Um, uh, like kind of hard and fast answers to things around mental health and so forth is actually sometimes more problematic than saying like I don't know. Like it depends. Yeah. Yeah, I want to address um, the two two things I noticed you were saying. One is that it's very risky to have your support network be at work, and I agree if that's your entire support network. But if you have a diversified support network, just like investing, if you have diversified investments, um, that, that analogy is pretty good, actually. Like, I would invest in work some, but in home some, with, with my partner some, and with my non-partner, like people I knew before I met my partner, those people some, and with my, my family some. Yeah, it's risky. It is risky. If your entire support network is at work, no, that is very dangerous. You could get lost. But if you have no support network at work, if you don't really connect with anyone at work on purpose... Um, I think you're missing out on, you said commonality, like you share a lot in common with them. Uh, and I want to go, it's not just easier to get support from them, but you can literally have a deeper level of support and validation for people who've been a PM in government, for example. If you can find them outside of the job, though, like in communities, there's a uh, product managers in government meetup in DC, or something similar to that, and there's a product manager meetup, and I meet people who I could still be friends with this regardless of my employment. And that's more reliable and stable, but they don't know, you know, that one boss, uncle, or whoever, the, the person who's causing trouble, um, they don't know that context as well, but someone who works there will. So that's, it's, it's deeper. Deeper is a different, differently valuable. I, I guess, th yeah, that's very, that's very insightful as well. Like, because even Skull, like Skull Knietling and me, like, I think we met tangentially through work. So mostly through through JD, who I used to work with. And um, I'm actually still very close with JD. I actually just spoke to him yesterday. And, you know, like I've, I haven't been at Open Up now for like, like what, like four years. So, yeah, um, that is true. Yeah, so I kind of, I think hey. you've kind of changed my mind a bit on that. But yeah, as, like as, as with lots of disclaimers and caveats. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I, and, I, and I agree, and I, I have some additional like recent experience that I can add to this. So um, I totally, the diversification is, is key. And I think, as you mentioned, Casey, like community plays a core role here. Um, for example, uh, like one of the reasons I started the Mycelium Network community is because I know that there's a whole bunch of early entry-level web developers that all share a common fear and, a, and have common uh, pain points and common frustrations. And if you have to deal with that by yourself, it's, it's tough, man. Um, you, we are naturally, for some reason, and maybe you know the exact reason, Casey, but we are uh, biased towards negativity. So, you know, if, if things don't quite go your way, you're more likely to blame yourself than any, anything or anyone else. Um, so if you are this early entry-level uh, developer and you're struggling with this by yourself, you're going to eventually turn in on yourself and you're going to feed that uh, imposter syndrome monster, just that wolf. You're going to feed that wolf over and over again until he gets nice and fat and ready for winter. Um, but if you are part of a community of similar-minded people, and I think the other side of that, and that is the part that I still want to get more people involved there, and some mentors as well. You can share commonality between those, but you can also hear from somebody who's been there but has gone beyond that now and can tell you what you're feeling is normal. And as you speak to other people, your peers here, you'll find that it's normal. But I can also tell you that it doesn't change, but it also gets better in some ways. Like it's this constant dance we're doing with imposter syndrome and with feeling like we're not good enough. It's it's part of being in tech. It's like, I always tell people, like, if you're getting into it just for the money, don't. It's not going to last, and you're going to be very, very sorry you made this. If you 
are happy with having to solve problems for the rest of your career and having to constantly learn new things for the rest of your career, and you're a curious person by nature, you're good. You're going to be good. And the money will just be a nice thing on the side that maybe you get a good salary or you build a good business that you feel good about. And you can buy some nice things for yourself and your family and you can help other people financially. But you shouldn't go into it for that because it's not going to last very long. As soon as you get into that, like, oh, my goodness, I can't believe this thing. And you sit the whole day and something doesn't work and you're getting frustrated and, oh, I'm stupid. And that paycheck is not going to be that great anymore. Um, and then relationships play is, is the next level there. And I think starting from community is great. But then there is something, there can be something special between colleagues. Um, and like the last six months before I left uh, Mozilla, the only reason I stuck it out for that additional six months was because of the two or three people that I had a really good close relationship with. We were like, they were all content writers and I was like the community manager and we could often share our own frustrations about individuals in the team that just were not good for the team. They weren't good for the product and we could share those things in between ourselves. I mean, so much so, and you know, some of this is not really healthy to do, but um, it went as far as we had our own little slack, Thingy where it was just the four of us and we could like share stuff between us. Not everything was negative, like there was positive stuff there for sure, but it was a safe space where you could feel, you could say, oh, that meeting drove me insane. I can't believe that person did that, this or the other thing. Um, they are the people who, who I stayed for. But in a sense, they are also the people that made me eventually decide to leave because having to see them so unhappy and not being able to solve the problem, it just got too much for me. Like my unhappiness was bad, but knowing I'm working with people I care about that were also unhappy, it just got to the point where like I saw that there's no, unfortunately, it's in this weird place where there's just no way I can do anything to make it better. Um, I'm still in touch with them now and we have a different relationship because I'm removed from it, but I'm now their emotional support from the outside kind of saying like, I know what you mean. Cause I was there. I'm glad I'm out, but you know, if things don't get better, maybe you should consider finding something else because it's unhealthy. I feel I can, I can attest to now that those two weeks I mentioned at the beginning is over. I can attest to feeling just so much better. I mean, to just, to finish off my uh, ramble here, my left hand was had this like tingly pins and needles feeling in it for the last two months maybe. And first of all, I freaked out about that because I have this thing with heart health and stuff like because I saw my dad have a heart attack and I saw a thing after when and that's like 30 years roughly ago, maybe. Yeah, about 30 years ago, a bit more. So, you know, Back in those days, if that happened, you had the operation is very, very invasive. And as a young child walking into an ER and seeing your dad, like, that was traumatic. And it's stuff I still deal with to, to this day. Um, and so if I have tingling in my left hand, I'm like, uh-oh. So having that for the last two months is kind of stressful. But I could tell myself that I can feel the tension in my shoulders. I can feel like if I stretch, I can feel everything's tight. It's gone. I don't have that anymore. Since I left, it went away. It was still there for about the first week, but it's gone now. And it's, so it's amazing to think how wound up you can be without really, really realizing it until you remove yourself from that. And you're like, whoa, it's a good thing I did because I don't know how long I would have, I would have survived. Um, I don't really know why, where I was going with that, but what I'm trying to say is I get that you need support inside a company from peers and people who understand where you are and what you're struggling with because they're going through the same kind of thing. But then it's it's also good to have, like and both of you essentially said, to also have that community outside of it, that share that has a common interest but that can support you from a, in a different way. Kind of like when I support them who are still working and still dealing with all the stuff there. They have me now as an external support, um, which is a different relationship, but hopefully still helpful to them. Anyway, we're going to stop there and 
hand it back to you, to you two. Your story reminded me of the, I don't know, metaphor. What is it called? Boiling a frog. Happiness over time, if your happiness is going down over time, or if it stays low for a long time, it can be hard to notice either because it's so gradual. And so when I left that um, the company I was drawing the graph for in that earlier story, I knew I was lower. I was like, I don't know, five out of 10, like not that great. And I tried to imagine in six months and 12 months, where did I think it would be? And I was like, yeah, maybe it could optimistically get up to six six and a half something it could be getting better slowly but that rate was not enough to make me happy i wanted to be over seven or eight i want to be up in the happy area like but the trend wasn't going up enough and once i like thought about that and drew it out for myself and told people about it everyone's like yeah you can find a better place this isn't going to become magically that better place anytime soon on your time frame you're looking at so before we started um, recording, Casey, you mentioned that when I reached out to you over LinkedIn and you saw the title of the podcast, you were like, oh, I'm in, I'm, I'm there. Thinking about that, what is something you'd like, you would have loved to have shared as part of this podcast that maybe you've not had the chance yet? Oh, yeah, uh, I do have another big idea in mind. I've actually been working on a board game related to my book. It's related to everything we've been talking about. So um, imagine you have a backlog in a Kanban, Trello board, something like that, of all your stressful experiences you haven't gotten through yet. You could even literally put it into Jira if you really want to or whatever. Um, And there's four columns in my framework that I think through it. One is aware. You're aware of it even to be able to write down the, the vague title of it. The next step is articulated, like you can really put it into words and the nuance and the details. The third is validated, which could be journaling to yourself. And you're like, I know this. I'm very, I feel very comfortable, very certain about the way I'm writing. Or you need someone else to say it makes sense in this situation. You'd feel that way, or oh, those levels of validation I said earlier. And then finally, resolved, where you make a plan to work on it, or you decide not to work on it, or whatever the outcome is, and you're feeling good. And I don't know. I don't have a. Maybe I should make myself a Trello board of my stressful experiences. That would be pretty good. But I do have it in my head. And if I would talk to a friend, different people can help the validation step get to resolved, like be validating it by talking to them. And a lot of people I talk to get a pile up on the V column. And as a board game, you talk with friends about it and you like move your thing through the, them quickly. Uh, maybe not as deeply as if you did it for real, but the f- structure and framework, people found it really fun, a structured way to talk about stressful experiences with friends. It's not published. Maybe uh, another year or two. I don't know. I want to play test it a lot, bunch more. But the Kanban board idea, y'all could take already. No, I said, like, there's your title right there. Stressful experiences with yeah, friends. It would sell, I think. <laughs> Some people know they want that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I mean, I think that is one of the hardest things about emotional, um, mental things is finding a way to talk about it. Um, like I know Tara Brock, who is a um, psychologist, but she's also a um, mindfulness teacher. She has this thing called RAIN, which is an acronym for recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture. And then there's also this thing she calls after the RAIN. And so the idea is that when you're in a stressful situation, the first thing you do is you recognize, you acknowledge what's happening. You acknowledge what you feel inside your body. Like I, I'm my heart palpitating, I'm sweaty, my palms are sweaty, I feel uncomfortable, I don't know what to do, Um, I want to run away, that kind of thing. So you recognize it, and then you allow it to be there. It's this whole, there's a poem um, uh, called about, uh, it essentially talks about inviting these guests that comes to the tea party. And each guest is a different fear you have, and you learn to sit and have tea with them. Because if you do that, you start understanding why they're there and what they're trying to teach you. So it's this whole thing about allowing, allowing what you're, what you're, um, the emotions and feelings you have. And then you start investigating, like, why? What, what led me to this? What brought me to this point? And then once you've kind of investigated and you kind of have an idea, then you nurture. You nurture yourself and try and, and comfort yourself by saying, it's okay. You know, you've been here before. This has happened to you and you were... Look, you're still here. Yes, it's very stressful in the moment. And then the after the rain is when you, when whatever you were experiencing, maybe it was a panic attack or whatever it was, when that has subsided, you go back and you just, almost journaling can be pretty good here. And whatever journaling means for you. Um, 
maybe it's voice, maybe it's writing it down with pen and paper, maybe it's typing out on the keyboard. Um, just going over it again and trying to not replay it because you don't want to relive a bad experience, but just thinking about what you just went through as a means to start switching your brain into, you know, treating these situations differently. What can I learn from this? How can I, you shouldn't avoid things because that, that doesn't help. Um, it's like avoiding conflict. Like that is one of my really things I'm bad at is, and I only learned about a year, two years ago that how really negative it is to avoid conflict. You're doing twice the harm by avoiding conflict. Um, and so, you know, I think that game to bring it into a more of a gamey thing is that's great. That will be a more fun way for people to actually do that and do it with friends, which makes it easier because now you're not, other people can, again, we talked about this earlier, people can say, hey, you know what, me too. I've also been there. Or just listen and not say anything. Yeah. So from my side, I, I think something that I found very insightful is, is kind of being challenged on my strong feelings around um, you shouldn't build a support network at work. Um, and I think the, the discussion of the case, he kind of prompted some reflection in terms of that. And, and like, is, is it useful to have such a strong stance on that? Um, or is there more nuance? So I think for me, that was, that was one of the main takeaways. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I think, um, on that point, I think sometimes asking yourself, um, was there some point in your career where you got hurt real bad because you had this network internally and then it was rubbed, your carpet was pulled from under you and you're like, almost like in the last episode I made swearing okay and you were always like, fuck that, I'm not doing that again. You know, sometimes that that's where it lies and it's like going back to that and, and making peace with that and they say, you know, um, forgiving doesn't necessarily mean you forgive the other person, but you forgive yourself um, and you let that, let it go. And then maybe that feeling you have, that strong sense you have might reduce a little bit. You might be more open to it in the future. Not saying that is the case, but, you know, for me, a lot of things in my life, I've found that there was key moments that triggered this strong feeling I had. And I had to go back to that as uncomfortable as it is. And sometimes it was my fault, so I had to acknowledge I, I, I messed up and I, now I'm better, now I do better. And so that is a way to forgive myself by saying, yes, I acknowledge I was wrong, but I have changed. And so I can let go of it. And the other people, they don't have a grudge towards me about it. So, yeah, I think for me it was just like there's just so much stuff here. And I think the most important thing that comes back, and I think this is always going to come back to that, is people. People are important. Like sometimes I say people suck, but I mean, you know, it's just because I had a really bad experience with somebody or somebody did something I can't believe. Like somebody, you know, you read about somebody um, treating somebody really badly or hurting animals. It's like, ah, oh, man, people suck. But then in the end of the day, people are also the only people <laughs> who can understand what you're going through and have the same emotions as you. Um, so we do need each other. And I think it all comes back to people in the end of the day and having, finding a way to, to be okay with being flawed human beings and not seeing it as a fault or a weakness. All right. My takeaways, uh, one of my takeaways is you two are more of my people. We have a lot in common, a lot of shared experiences, a lot of shared interests, and we go beyond interest to talk about it like on podcasts and we get out in the community and talk to people both like mental health issues and community uh, people yeah this is the stuff i care about i talk about it all the time and i'm so glad we found each other uh, if there's one content takeaway i have i think it would be that uh, acronym rain i haven't heard of that one it's very similar to my board game columns i think she added allow your feelings which i like talk about in my book but it wasn't in my columns and I added validate, which I don't think she has in hers explicitly as a column. I love thinking about which ones to to include or not include to make the game fun. I can't wait to read read more about that. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, no worries. Yeah, it's great. Tora, Tora, Tora Burke's stuff is amazing. She has a podcast that I highly encourage people to listen to. It's really great. 
Thanks so much, folks. Um, yeah, thanks, Casey, for, for joining. And um, I look forward to speaking. There's so many things we could have talked about, but this is just how this podcast goes. Um, we often talk about all kinds of things that's not what we intended to talk about, but that's great. So, yeah, I think this is, this is a lovely conversation. Uh, wish you all of the best. Um, just in closing, like, learn more about you, about the work you do and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, thanks for asking. Um, I blog at caseywatts.com. And I know um, you've actually read some of my articles. That's how you found me. Uh, Happy Capacity is one you mentioned. I also have a book website. My, my main website links at the bottom. There's a footer with like 15, 20 links. I have too many like footprints online. That's where you can find everything. But there's a book, Debugging Your Brain, that I also have as an audio book. That's how I like to read books. Um, I think that's, that's the two. I would just send you to those two. Perfect. Thanks so much, Casey. Thanks, Skulk. Um, and yeah, we'll end it there. And uh, have a lovely rest of your day, Casey. And um, I'll speak to you on the interwebs. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me, Skulk.